Well, against all hope, it's uh, another edition of Toby Haydoke's Who's Round, and today it's a knight's tale. I've been quite excited by this one because I enjoy this gentleman's work, so it's uh, rather fun that at the end of an evening I'm going to ask my next victim to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, Well, yes, uh, good evening, Toby, and uh, I've got to thank you for uh, placing me in your very capable hands. Uh, My name is Marcus Gilbert, and I'm here to talk about, well, I suppose, just about anything loosely, but let's start with Doctor Who, shall we? When I started this project, I asked a few people if they'd got any contacts and knew anyone from Doctor Who, and Steve Broster, who did the DVD extras for Battlefield, sent me an email and said, oh, when we interviewed Marcus Gilbert for Battlefield, he was great fun, what a hoot, what a lovely man. So your reputation precedes you, Marcus, is that uh, you seem to engage yourself with this sort of thing. Oh, <laughs> well, I've I got to live up to it now, haven't I? So, so you, you, yeah. Well, listen, life is short and it should be as pleasurable as possible. And uh, so let's not take it too seriously. Come on, ask me the first stupid question. Okay, well, how did you come to be in the world of Doctor Who? Um, well, as, 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 a, as a young actor, it was, it, it was just, a, just a part that I was seen for and uh, I was lucky enough to get it. And then the rest was just was fun. It was it was exciting, and well, guess I'd like to do it again. And um, do do you think that Anselin, the character you played in Battlefield, and Brigadier Bambero, with whom you flirted mercilessly, do you think they have a future? I think they do. I mean, I'm not quite sure about the kids. They'd be a little confused, wouldn't they? But uh, uh, no, 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 you know, she, Angela, she was she, she she was great. And what I what I respected most of all was her uh, her her resilience, her strength, that that sort of strong, feminine yet masculine control she had over everything. I found it titillating, exciting, and uh, just just very stimulating. And uh, but at the same time, how can you take a woman like her seriously? <laughs> well, how can you take something like? Do- I mean, you know, we are we, we are here talking about Doctor Who, but you know, you're a grown man. You're, Thank you are you. not necessarily a, a fan of Doctor Who, and you, and but you are aware, obviously, that it has this massive following and lots of other sort of very grown-up people take it very seriously. What do, you, you, what do you make of the whole phenomenon of Doctor Who? And do, Can you buy into it? Well, I mean, you buy into it in so much as you're, you, you, you know, you're indirectly a part of it. And there are other people who recognise the, 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 the potency more than I would immediately. But yet you realise there are people for whom Doctor Who means, means so much. And there are also people, Toby, who have so much knowledge, so <laughs> much knowledge. Terrible people. And, and uh, that in itself is, is it's inspiring, you know? And now why does a person acquire knowledge? Why, why do they do that? They, they do that because they feel an innate passion and a desire 
to, 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 to suck it all up, to learn more and more and more. And, you know, I know someone on a million miles from me who's done that, <laughs> and, and really it, it's, uh, it's quite a phenomenal achievement because it's, uh, it's, it's a lifelong work. Um, yeah, I mean, its place is, is unquantifiable. It, 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 it's definitely there, and to what degree depends upon the individual. But yeah, I'm happy to be part of part of part of the legacy. Uh, it's good stuff. It's nice stuff. Well, let's find out about you, Marcus, because um, I mean, I think you you were going through purple patch as an actor when when Battlefield was because because I was I think it was the first thing I'd seen you in. And I think you're brilliant in it. I think you're the best thing in Battlefield, and I'm not shy about saying that. Because um, I thank you. Thank um, you. Because I think it's a, it's a potentially dull part. The hero is always the potentially dull part, and you invest it with a lot of spark and a lot of fun. And I think I think it's a great uh, performance. Um, and 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 having seen you in that, you then seem to be in everything. Um, and so it, it seemed to be that at that time, sort of late eighties, you as an actor were were sort of working a heck of a lot. Yeah, I was lucky. I you know and didn't necessarily take it for granted, but but. Um... I, I, I did seem to work. I had great representation as an actor. That's always very important. Who, who's, who's putting putting your your uh, you've got, if you're not represented by a good agency, then it makes things tougher. If you have a good agent backing you, selling you, and you happen to do something that has a little exposure. Then yeah, that, that's that's a currency that's worth having, and and for me, I was young, um, and for a period of time, I did a lot. I did a lot. So how would you how would you got to that position as a young actor with a good agent? Uh, well, you know, for me, uh, um, life hadn't particularly been easy. Uh, I, I, I'd had. I'd had wonderful parents. Uh, um, my mother was was a, a mezzo soprano with Sanders Wells, and that was her primary passion in life. Uh, uh, her secondary passion, I suppose, was was her husband, and, and her husband uh, was a businessman and a very good businessman. And life was secure, and we were lucky. And there were three children. And then, you know, Halloween came along, 1970, and we were we were driving up to see my mother sing, and there was a car accident, and and uh, you know, I lost three members of my family, and so life turned around. Um, and for the next few years, I, it was just a question of recovery, um, and there wasn't a lot of guidance. I was lost. Didn't really know what to do, um, and so for my father, I, I, I did a degree in business studies, which I didn't particularly enjoy. Um, and then there was my mother, who was still alive, and I thought, well, let's try the other side of the coin. So I went to drama school for three years and left, and tried to find an agent, found an agent quite quickly, and, and, and found myself working, albeit on you know, commercial topics. Uh, uh, um, by by that, I, that I mean, 
it was it was mostly television and and also commercials. I could always earn a little bit of money, and I seemed to play a lot of foreigners then. Maybe maybe that's how I looked. I'm not 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 quite sure, but I but I started quite quite solidly, and the parts grew in size. And the five years I'd given myself as a deadline to give up or carry on passed. And I had a predicament because I was doing quite well. You know, why should you give up something sure. that's doing doing? So I carried on, and 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 then I, I was at a certain time in life, late late twenties, um, uh, and I seemed seemed to play all these, uh, or, or be offered, or be seen for. I was a, I was a leading man. I, 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 that was something I didn't choose. I couldn't help. Happy with obviously, um, and, and that 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 worked to my advantage, and and I found myself working quite a lot. So I was the man with a with a big black stallion, the big sword, who always got the lady, who always had the money, who had position, privilege, power, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I had to go with that. And boy, was that hard! Of course not. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, life was good, and, and in retrospect. I was very, very lucky. Um, maybe it was a different time, but yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting, and, and, and thank you for being so open, because I have to say, you know, I, I'm an actor from a, a relatively humble background, um, and I, I, I would maybe look at an actor like you and assume, because you're well-spoken and you're handsome and you're fit and all that sort of thing, oh, he's probably had it easy because he's, you know, he's obviously of good stock, and, and then we talk to each other, and you go, well, actually, you had a very difficult um, upbringing, isn't it funny how we, we make those assumptions about, even actors who are, by their nature, chameleons, um, and of course, it's all bred from, quite often, from circumstances that are very different to what we might imagine. Yeah, circumstances, uh, it's not something you choose, but they do tend to dictate your path in life. Um, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason. You just play the cards you're dealt and, 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 and hope you don't live to regret that. Um, and there are, there, there, there are a lot of people I know who have been blessed, continue to be blessed, and perversely, a touch of tragedy here and there, and it lends, lends to humility that's, that's otherwise very hard to come by and can be very valuable. But you know, that's, that's my opinion, which is also humble, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, because you are, you, you are of, a, as, as, of, a, uh, of a particular... Um, you know, you've excelled in certain genres, wielding a sword. So Army of Darkness, for example, Sam Raimi film. It's a pretty similar um, part to the Doctor Who part, but of course in a, in a completely different sphere in terms of it's a, you know, it's a major movie. So how did that come about and is that something that uh, you enjoyed doing? Uh, yeah, you know, no, you're, you're always going to enjoy killing people <laughs> with a big sword and uh, trampling over them with a the lov lovely stallion. No, I, the, doc, the Doctor Who, I believe, was in '89, yeah. and um, there, there seemed to be more of those those 
types of roles around then. There was a lot of period, or certainly I was seen for a lot of period pieces. I did a couple of Barbara Carlin films. The first was opposite Helena Bonham Carter. She was the female heroine. There was Diana Rigg. She was my mother. Stuart Granger was 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 my father. We had. Um, uh, Christopher Plummer. We we uh, there was a myriad of, of of established stars that were brought in for these pictures, and they you know they were they were bodice rippers if you like, and you know, there had to be someone young to save the day, and in those days I was young, and uh, yeah I was coordinated. I was good on a horse. I looked halfway decent, um, and I was lucky. Well, and I have to say, because this is an audio podcast, you haven't changed a bit. I mean, well, you're still... your, 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 your judgment is failing you, <laughs> sadly, young man. But, no, it's very kind. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you've got to hold on to a semblance of yourself. You've got to hold on to, to, to a little bit of self-respect if you can. Those circumstances may dictate otherwise. You've got to, you know, you've got to, and you need support to do that, of course. And you, you, you need help, whether it's friends, whether it's family. But I haven't fallen apart yet, and I, I don't really intend to. It's about the only thing I can control. And mentally, I'm weak. What can I tell you? So if I can go out and set myself a physical target, then I'll do that because that will give me something. That will empower me. Um, you know, mental weakness. I'm, I'm not particularly mental weak. I do do wander around and mumble occasionally. When I used to do that, I used to wander around and mumble in the hope that someone would listen to me and change their behaviour, or at least pay attention to me. But they don't. So now I just find myself <laughs> wandering around mumbling, which is a bit worrying. But uh, no, you know, I'm 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 not ready to fall apart yet, and I and I and I won't. And should someone offer me something, then. I will rise to the challenge. Well, one of the challenges, and I, I hate asking people to repeat themselves, but we did have a chat before at the bar, and you told me about you and Stuart Granger in spandex. So I would, I would like to ask you about that again, because that, oh, that okay. just sounds like a marvellous job. <laughs> well, the Stuart Granger that I, I first met on a uh, uh, film... Uh, it was called A Hazard of Hearts, and he was flown over by Lord Grade and he was put up suite at the Athenaeum in London uh, he was met uh, stretch limo, champagne flowers and he was used to this and Stuart Granger was a big 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 noise um, and, and, and had been he'd been unsurpassed for a few years as a matinee idol and he came over as, as a 74 year old man and he was you know, undeniably impressive Tan, still good-looking, still fit, and the man we—we we, I remembered from King Solomon's Mind, Scaramouche, earlier films that he'd done, and he still had that 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 power. Um, he was still a Hollywood star, you know? and he was great. You stood back and you looked at this man in 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 a sort of bemused admiration. You might not like his style, he was quite brash, but yet there was no denying he was, he was a big star, and had been 
still was at the age of 74. But the next time I met him was on something for Glenn Larson uh, called Strange Bedfellows. I think they were all chameleons. It had a couple of titles. And this was in a warehouse in the suburb of Los Angeles called Canoga Park. And it was 115 degrees, and we were shooting this big warehouse, and there was no there was no air conditioning. There were cooling fans, but they couldn't they couldn't be used because they make too much noise, take too much time to cool down. And I, I met Stuart Granger again, and uh, I, it had only been six months since I last saw him. I I, I think he he remembered me, but he was he was he was a man who wasn't happy. Is it the temperature? Because he was probably dressed in spandex from head to feet. And he was doing a show which I think he probably considered slightly, you know, beneath him. Which which is understandable. Uh, I, I was happy to be there. But he and I would... Um, he was my dead father's business partner and my father had been murdered by the baddies and so Stuart Granger and I would set out each night in our uh, Russian Ural Cossack 650cc uh, motorbike with sidecar he'd be in the sidecar I'd be I'd be riding the beast <laughs> and uh, we'd, we'd, we'd throw our capes over us and go off and fight crime in our spandex <laughs> uh, you know you, you couldn't help by feeling a giant d though really I mean it wasn't it was you, 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 you didn't really he didn't enjoy that experience at all um, and was a very unhappy man sadly complete complete it was complete and utter change from the I'm guy not, that you worked with six yeah, months yeah 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 no no the, 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 it, but it was such a marked change because this is a man who, who, who was, I don't know about living legend, but he'd accomplished so much and was still obviously thinking of what had been and trying to relate that to his present circumstance and offering. And that's sometimes hard to do, to compromise that much. And this was a big jump, a big jump down for him. And for me, it was quite normal. Mm. Uh, and it, it was just a shame. It was a shame because he was a, a sparkling individual, but not, 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 not that that month. Well, it's a tough business, isn't it? In that in that regard. Yeah, it is. And he'd reached a certain age and lost a lot of friends along the way. I suppose it's understandable, but. Uh, you know, you often can't see. If you're outside, standing outside of yourself, it's a little more apparent. Yeah, but, yeah, not good, not good. Well, your leading man in Doctor Who was Sylvester McCoy, but you had another Sylvester as a leading man, which was Mr Stallone, because you were in Rambo 3. I could be Mr Knights or Mr Nasty. Yeah, no, 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 he... Um, he he wasn't a man with a sense of humour in those days. He took himself very seriously, uh, and I think there was a lot of money invested in this. Sixty million, which for 1987, this is the first film I did out of drama school. Was it, was was a lot of money? 
um, and, and that we were 25 kilometers outside a place called Bersheva, which is in the, uh, I can't remember if it's the Sinai, or the Negev, the Negev Desert, by the Dead Sea. And we were night shooting, we were there for three months. Big, big unit, 325 people. And, you know, what, it, 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 it wasn't terribly exciting. The thought of doing a big Hollywood production was but the hanging around, the waiting, the indecision, we had no idea what was going on. We would be summoned. Um, but really, you didn't know what was happening. That, that You didn't really feel part of a production. Yes, you were there. But there was nothing that was coherent as far as I was concerned. Um, and so time just drifted. And for me, I'd, I'd, um, I'd already committed something to film. I, I was originally supposed to be his right-hand man, a man who was appalled at the, the treatment by the Soviets of the Afghanis. And so I rebelled and I went over onto you know, the, the side of the Americans or Stallone and led him back in through the camp. But I, I must admit, I'd lost that part. I'm not quite sure why. It was rumoured maybe I was a little too tall. Uh, but, but I'm not quite sure. I, in, in, in those days, there was something I'd laid down, so they couldn't fire me. But I didn't really know what I was... My part was taken away from me, and I was left to hide in the shadows. I was young. I was 27. Um, and, and, and that was really indicative of the, of, of the whole production. Vast. So, so what, you've been hired to play a particular part and then yeah. suddenly they went, well, you're not doing that. Yeah. Well, the, the director was a guy called Russell Mulcahy who uh, had done Razorback. Yeah, 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 Highland. He was a lovely guy and um, uh, Russell was gay. Not that you'd ever know that. I don't think that served him uh, uh, very well when working with a man like Sylvester Stallone. I think Sylvester Stallone's mellowed a lot now, and probably acquired a sense of humour and, and, and power to him. He's he's still there, more or less at the top of the tree. But he was an enormous phenomenon then, and I, and I think he took himself a lot more seriously than than perhaps he does now. Uh, so the, the whole production was they'd gone to Israel to save money, and it was a multinational production. You had. Spaniards, you had the Dutch, obviously Israelis, you, you had English, Americans. So it, it, it was a mix and a lot was lost in translation so it wound up, uh, I, I think, you know, running over budget. Um, and the whole thing was just an experience. Right? In An experience really into it was a lot of excess, a lot of money, a lot of disbelief as we sat there, the three of us, a couple of other actors in our little caravan overlooking the wastes of the desert, waiting to be called. Or, well, there are stories I could tell you which perhaps I shouldn't. But we you know, didn't really mind, we were being paid well. And then we got into Tel Aviv, so everyone let their hair down. 
and then we'd go to the certain restaurant, which I think was owned by Mandy Rice Davis, and yeah. if you know, Scandal. I believe she had an Israeli husband. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure he was. And they rumored, rumored uh, to have owned 20, 26 restaurants in, in Tel Aviv. And there's one we'd congregate into when everyone was fired or people were fired, because people started to get fired. I think the whole of the second unit was released, which was over 100 people. And we'd meet at this restaurant, celebrate someone going, leaving, and, and returning to normality. Uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. Sounds very interesting. Well, it's a lot more interesting than I'm going to tell you now, because he's still a powerful man. <laughs> well, what about, and what about, because of course, and I'd forgotten this, and I only remember now talking to you, of course, very famous the gold blend adverts with Anthony Head and Sharon Morn, and then there was the sequel and that was you wasn't it with, mm. the, with, the, with the second set so that, that's an odd thing an advert that is a bit of a cause celebre because an advert is usually window dressing yeah no, well I think they'd broken ground Sharon Morn, Tony Head were the first one and then Nescafe had come along and realised there's mileage in this what can we do to revamp this spice it up, introduce a different element and so it was sort of the menage a trois yeah. uh, it, it was again the, the established boyfriend who was me, who had everything who people assumed the girl would marry and then the caterer came in on the scene and, and that, that lasted for four years is, you know, um, and I, I lost the girl in the end, which of course was a bitch. But uh, <laughs> no, no, it was it, it, it while it lasted it was good. Uh, yeah, I, it was scheduled to go to America. Shame it didn't. If it had, I might not be talking to you here. You know, but well, uh, we'd have just been doing no, it. No, I was Skype. lucky. Yeah, no, no, was, I thought. And they, they saw a lot of people, I think they saw about 4,000 people for that. But in those days, you're young, you're empowered. I'm still relatively young, by the way, but uh, you don't care. There's a certain arrogance that I don't have now, uh, surety. Uh, you just, just, it's probably a lack of commitment is what I'm talking about. If you're not married, you, know, you don't have children, you, you don't have bills to meet. There was a freedom that I don't really enjoy now, and and but you carry that with you, and I, you know, I had it, and luckily, uh, uh, maybe people recognised that and decided to employ a little bit of it, and so, yeah, so I had a little bit of it. Well, and you had a little bit of uh, a flirtation with uh, potentially playing another icon uh, of. Uh, of, uh, of British entertainment I'm beating around the bush you, uh, you were seen for James Bond yeah yeah I was seen for James Bond and that, that, that was um, I had the same agent at the time as Pierce Brosnan um, and I, I was always conceived a little young for it but you know you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot going in to see anyone um, so I, 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 I decided to be myself, go in, see them, uh, and if I was a man for the job, great. <laughs> but obviously I wasn't the man for the job. And revealing my toilet cleaning past didn't go down too well, I'm sure. So tell me about your toilet cleaning past. So was that... Because, the, the, that again, I think we assume 
I was good. You're, you're, a, you're a, you know, you're a posh little boy who had it all handed on a plate. No, 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 no. I had uh, 15 homes in the first 11 years of life around the place. You know, life was from the stability that we had and enjoyed uh, 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 that, that disappeared pretty quickly, and, and uh, I had to grow up independence and, and you know with that came a certain responsibility at a tender age to go out and earn some money now I, I, I've, I've got to add I didn't toilet clean full time this was just going through I was doing a business uh, a studies degree um, and I would head out to Beecham's Pharmaceuticals so I, I think with this other guy who was a friend we were he- uh, effective head of the mobile scrubbing team <laughs> and that was just a great title and we'd wander around Beecham's Pharmaceuticals, of which uh, uh, this was in a place called Durrington, Worthy. There were myriad of uh, cafeterias we could lose ourselves in and enjoy the freshly vended leaf tea and uh, read the, uh, uh, the reading material on top of the toilets and clean the odd mirror and wipe down the odd urinal and flush the odd bowl. So you know, it was it wasn't such a hardship, but for three and a half years, yeah, it was you know, just pocket money, I suppose. But you mentioned it when but you James, were James, Bond. Yeah, James Bond doesn't clean toilets, really, does he? And listen, let's face it, I I was never really going to get that gig, but should have cut, kept kept my mouth shut, really, shouldn't I? Well, look, I, I'm going to let you get back to your evening, but let, I've got three more questions to ask you. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure, um, pleasure. So we've, we've talked about Doctor Who and before and around Doctor Who, so what about Marcus Gilbert now? What, is, what are you up to? Um, well, I, I've just finished something called Two of a Kind, which is a film, and it's about this... I play old Rick, who comes back to try and convince young Rick, because there's a physical resemblance... I'm supposed to be him from the future, and I am supposed to be the fear in his future. If he, he inherits some money, and if he doesn't watch out, he is going to be as depraved and as sad and sorry as I am now. <laughs> Excesses of life, drink, drugs, um, depravity to a certain... It's not quite that dark, but I, I am there to serve as an omen uh, that if he doesn't mend his ways so I have to encourage him uh, I have to frighten him and I have to try and motivate him to 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 change his behaviour that's what it's about and that I think will be a festival release, not quite sure and then they'll perhaps seek a theatrical uh, distribution for that other than that I I um, I have this very small production company and we. someone asked me six years ago if I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro and my initial response was no. <laughs> but, but, but then I thought, well, you know, maybe it's a good idea. We'll take a couple of cameras along and, and create, document the trip on film. And we did do that. And I had to follow clients, someone's clients from someone called The Adventure Company, um, and Kilimanjaro is a strange place. Yes, it's the world's tallest freestanding mountain, and, and you'll get people from all walks of life who are going there for varying reasons. 
if they're young, jump up the top, prove their fitness, their prowess. If they're old, uh, 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 you know, maybe one last trip before they feel they can't accomplish anything physical anymore. Midlife, cathartic, shot in the arm. For whatever reason, there are people who have their own stories, and the stories don't initially come out. They only come out when the going gets tougher and people, people's barriers fall apart and so what you have is no escape you have all these people with a common goal to reach the summit and the circumstances the weather the altitude you know sleep deprivation they actually will prevent some people from doing that and that makes for quite a fascinating story so did that uh, and took, took it back to the people whose clients have followed it. They thought it was inspirational and they commissioned me to make what would have been 10 more. After four, they were bought out by first choice. But I, so I found myself going to you know, the Annapurnas, uh, the, the, the Inca Trail, High Inca Trail, toward Everest Base Camp, various places that, you know, where you can see for 100 miles where there's purity of air, where the sun is golden and 3D in the afternoon and it glows orange and it's, it's just wonderful to be in those places and to be away from it, really, um, and, and appreciate just walking through life in, in, in such incredible environments. And if also, you know, you happen to be pulling in some footage, then that's a bonus. So I had a lot of footage, piecing it together. We've come up with, with something called Two Men and a Map, which I suppose it's a travelogue, but it's a light-hearted travelogue. I don't want to take that too seriously. Informative, maybe. Yeah, well, it is informative, but it looks beautiful. And there's... It's got to be funny. It's got to be funny, Toby. There's a little <laughs> bit of funniness in there, I'd like to think. Um, so there's half an hour from Peru, there's half an hour from Nepal, and I'm ideally I'd like to sell it or commission something else. Um, you know, if all else fails, then we'll post it out to YouTube and, 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 and hope. But it's there, I think it's quite good, but uh, I, you know, I wouldn't be the best judge of that. Um, I think that's about it, time being. Oh, no. Now, there's one thing that, that I did recently in shot in Prague. Um, and that's, yeah, I got to play an aging hero again. Well, he wasn't aging. I didn't say that in the script, but that's just my take on it. <laughs> A mature hero. Uh, and uh, This is actually for Coca-Cola commercial for Europe, uh, which is quite a big deal. It's their 100th centenary centenary um, and it's set in the International Space Station we've got a, a, a Czech French and an English crew and it's it's, it's it's dialogue it's a one minute piece of film and it builds intention uh, yeah and I think you know I'm looking forward to seeing that because that 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 it's not going to re-establish me or anything but it's a nice piece of film um, yeah, and I hope it comes out soon. So you say it's not going to re-establish you. So therefore, are you, I mean, do you feel that your your acting career? Um, yes. 
is there a disappointment there for you then, or no, 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 no? There's not a disappointment there. You know, time, time, and tide passes, and and uh, I, you know, we get older. And and what I used to do, the romantic hero I used to play. I mean, no one's going to employ me to do that now. I'm lucky. I keep myself in reasonable shape. You know. I'm, yeah, it's I'm sorry, I'm hesitating because I can't praise myself, but I'm okay. And as I said earlier on, I haven't fallen apart. But, you know, there are a lot of younger people out there who did what I used to do. And there are people who are represented at all, all different levels of life. And they should be on screen. But in, 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 in terms of... Um, yeah, you know, you have your you have your day in the sun. Yeah, uh, and and for me, part of me thinks it's a bit of a travesty, but yeah, there should be more things out there that I'm doing. Um, and I've probably only got a few years left to do it, and I'm still capable of doing it. But I might be better this time if someone's prepared to accept me as an aging hero, which is why this, 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 it's, it's Coca-Cola, but you know, it's a one minute piece of film and it's, it's, it's beautifully shot, tells a story, there's suspense. It's a Coca-Cola commercial. Boy, they spend a lot of money on those nowadays. And, and it, yeah, you never know in Europe, but you need to be sent out. As an actor, you need to be sent out. And if you're not seen, you, you need to be able to compete with others. And, and if you can't do that, then you know, th th there's nothing. And I don't do that now as much as I'd like to. Do I think I'm capable of doing it? Yes, of course. You've always got to hold on to that belief, that faith in yourself. No one's going to give it to you. They might question you. They might applaud you. But if you don't have that intrinsic strength, then, um, and I've still got a little of that left. And, uh, you've got to have that. Absolutely. Well, look, you've given me your time very kindly, and um, you don't get paid, I don't get paid, the listeners don't uh, pay to download the podcast. All we ask them to do is to donate to a charity of your choice. So what's your charity, Marcus? Well, I, I, I think, uh, without doubt, that it has to be cancer research. Um, Sadly, uh, uh, we will all become um, acquainted with someone uh, who, who's, who's suffered or, or will suffer, and uh, it's a nasty, evil disease. Uh, the more money we, we plough into finding uh, a cure, you know, the, be the better. Let's hope it comes soon. Well, brilliant. And so we ask you to donate to that. And uh, the final thing is that this podcast is nominally about Doctor Who and it was conceived to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who so the people that listen to this all enjoy their Doctor Who. What's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there Marcus? I no no you, you know you have to you have to applaud and you have to appreciate people who give their time um, and who who, who, who who keep the faith in something that's 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 worth having as far as Doctor Who is concerned, long, long may it last. I was very pleased to be part of it, and I'm, I'm glad that there are others out there who are more part of it than I am, and who keep, keep the torch burning for something that's, uh, that's 
will live long in the memory and hopefully will lead a much longer life. Well, nice. I had an instinct this would be a, a fun one and it certainly has proved to be that. Marcus Gilbert, thank you very much. Thank you, Toby. My pleasure. Bless you. Thanks, mate. Hi, sorry, I dribbled on again. No, that was great. Especially the last bit. No, I, well, that's the stuff I like that stuff. Uh, thanks to Marcus. What a delightful fellow. Um, his charity is Cancer Research, which is cancerresearchuk.org. All one word. Cancerresearchuk, all one word, dot org. Although I would suggest if you are a listener in the States or Australia or any of the others, uh, feel free to donate to the Cancer Research uh, Charity uh, in your country. I think that's fine. We are a, we are a worldwide family here. So um, thanks for listening to that. Uh, thanks to Erica Edgerton for introducing me to Marcus, which is an experience I will not forget. And uh, please uh, listen to the next Who's Round, which will be uh, out around about the same time next week. Until then, stay safe. Uh, peace and love. Bye-bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Fourth Doctor Adventures, The Trouble with Drax. There, Brighton, 1851. Hopefully the atmosphere will prove a little more cordial on this occasion. We're constantly visiting the same cities on the same planets. What's happening? Master, the course is being directed by an outside influence. Hello? Anybody home? Step away from your TARDIS, Time Oh no! All right, boys, there he is. Fugitive Drax, you have been positively identified. Drax? Doctor! And Princess Astra have been improving on that stuffy ice maiden you used to hang around with, eh, Doc? I think not. Why not? Because I am that stuffy ice maiden. Well, this is awkward. Hey, Nine, stun them! Mistress. I believe it's called a state of grace. Time Lord technology, according to Drax. Drax, you didn't. I did. Even told him how to allow strategic exceptions, didn't I? Drax, why are we here? Altrazar. Altrazar. The legendary city, lost to eternity. A metropolis erased from history so completely that only time sensitives have any suspicion it was ever there. What would you say if I told you that not only do I know where Altrazar is, but I've got a map that can take us there? Wow, that's a bit out of the ordinary. Isn't it? And the shadows. People who once were who'll never be. Ghosts lost in the mists of time. Big finish. We love stories.